and welcome to this week's episode of Across the Cemetery. My name is Emma. My name's Josh. And this week Josh is hosting it and I generally have no idea what it's going to be about, so take it away. So I won't give you like an overall title, I'll just start off because yeah. that will just give it away. Okay, being from Liverpool and more specifically in the local vicinity of Aintree Racecourse, Every year, around early March, the area becomes vibrant with preparatory works for the thousands of visitors that will ascend on the historic venue over the course of one weekend. I am, of course, talking about the Grand National Festival, a world-famous horse racing event that takes place in Liverpool each and every year that culminates in a steeplechase race that covers north of four miles. Of course, horse racing is a highly debated subject, One that we both can see merit in the arguments of either side, but something which we'll be staying neutral on in this episode, as that isn't our main focus point. What this episode will be doing instead is looking at the potential paranormal goings on that supposedly occur in Aintree and other race courses across the land. And potentially the world. I've never thought of, like, horse racing and ghosts or paranormal. Like, I'd never put the two together. Well... That's why I'm just a fucking genius. No, um, we think about it. Horse racing, it's really, really old. It's really old. Yeah. I think. Oh no, this one. Is, I think this one of the stories I'm going to talk about today. I, I can't remember. I've, I've <laughs> completely lost in the amount of stories we talk about now. But yeah, if you think about it, horse racing is age old. It's been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe yeah. thousands of years. So. Surely there's some sort of I guess paranormal the, I guess on. like like superstition and luck and stuff plays into it as well. Like there might be certain things that you know, like on Peaky Blinders they have like family hmm. they're related to like gypsies and if they do this they get a curse or whatever. Maybe like similar to that. You know, because they have horses. Is gypsies the correct term? On Peaky Blinders it is. Okay. <laughs> So there was no slayers there. No, so don't shout. So I have three stories, I think it is. The first one is titled Lottery. Oh. And see? has nothing to do um, with a lottery. I was going to say, see, like I said, look. The Grand National Race is a historic competition that has roots way back to the early 1800s when the course was actually located a few miles away in McGull rather than its current home in Aintree. The first official Grand National race as we know it was held in 1839. This race was won by a horse named Lottery. Now Lottery was born back in 1829 and initially named Chance before very imaginatively being named in honour of his father who was also called Lottery, obviously. It is said that Lottery was a horse, the young one, with personality and that when he came into close contact with his jockey, Jem Mason, he would kick up a fuss refusing to allow the jockey to approach and mount him. Of course, workarounds and trick tactics were employed to get the jockey onto the horse, and once he was up there, the bond between man and horse were told to be legendary, with a sort of telepathic link bringing the two together. Such was the success of Lottery that certain races even created a rule to hinder the horse from being entered, all in a bid to make the competition just a little bit more fairer for the other horses. The astounding thing is that Lottery would compete all over England, but this was the mid-1800s. He wasn't transported in a truck like a horse would be nowadays. He would walk to each each of these engagements. Most notably, 
Lottery ran six times within the course of one month in the far reaches of the country and walked to each venue and then raced in it. My God. Following retirement from such an illustrious career, Lottery was put to plough work, leading him to a peaceful and quieter place in the autumn years of his life. Although the life of this horse was interesting in of itself, what has attracted his name to this episode is what is alleged to happen from time to time in the modern age, over 150 years after the horse's death. So, I have a little story. About lottery? Within the story, um, yes. Okay. Drawing in on hour 10 of a 12-hour overnight shift, working security at Aintree Racecourse, Alan was feeling the exhaustion beginning to take hold of his body. He had patrolled the ground following the route set out in his work schedule to a T, passing through the equestrian centre, past the main gates and the rear of the Princess Royal Stand, cutting through underneath the raised walkways of the stands and heading to the very edge of the grass race course. The dark night hours hadn't provided anything but the distant rumble that could be heard from cars trundling down Melling Road, which navigates through the middle of the famous steeplechase course when the Grand National event isn't on. All the lights in the stands were dimmed and the works to get the site ready for the festivities were halted during the hours of darkness. As the rest of Liverpool was in slumber, Alan marched his beat, not allowing the airy silence coupled with the obscurity of the darkness to fade his professionalism. But he was now reaching on 4am. The spring sun was just threatening to appear over the horizon and illuminate the vast expanse of the racecourse and its many buildings. It was at this time that Alan once again rounded the corner of the Princess Royal Stand to head back toward the open plains of the track. On rounding the corner, Alan's attention was piqued. There was something disturbing the pre-dawn silence that he had become so accustomed to during his long shift. It sounded like repetitive tapping from something far in the distance perhaps. He edged closer through the sides of the buildings, scanning his torch back and forth for any sign of the source of the noise which was growing louder and louder, as though escalating like somebody was now tapping harder and harder, or maybe the source of the noise was getting closer and closer. Alan reached trackside. The faint amber light coming from the sun was now emphasising the vaporous haze emanating from the grass. The whole track was unlit, so the only source of light was from the sun that was barely poking its head from around the curvature of the earth. Alan squinted as he tried to see what was the cause of the noise that he was still investigating. Assessing the horizon, the repetitive tapping seemed to fade away until the security guard had convinced himself that it was just a factory in the distance or maybe some sort of vehicle passing on a nearby road. De-escalating his suspicion and easing him back into his dull obligation to continue walking, Alan began to scan the empty grandstands, thinking about how many thousands would soon fill them and be making all sorts of commotion while cheering on their horses. Suddenly, that repetitive tapping returned, but this time it was accompanied by a tremor in the earth. The tapping graduated into continuous dull thuds, which Alan immediately recognised from his many years of working security at Entry Racecourse as the thuds of a horse's hooves. But who would be out at such an hour, with such poor visibility as the sun was hardly even a quarter up, and certain parts of the track remained in inky blackness? 
Alan stood in bewilderment, mixed with level admiration as a Herculean beast gallops past him with a mealy brown coloured coat and a gargantuan stride that allowed the horse to cover ground in no time, soon fading into the morning sky and allowing Alan to return to his duties. Once 6am had rolled around, Alan headed to a security post at the main gate to clock off and finally head home to get some rest. Out of interest, he relayed the events that had occurred to his superior, a battle-hardened security guard who had reached the twilight of his career so was assigned to desk duties. Oh, that'll just be lottery, chimed his supervisor. He likes to get a feel for the ground early on, when there's not when there aren't many about. Alan took a minute to rationalise. It makes sense, but surely it's a bit dangerous that the jockey won't be able to see what's ahead of them if they're riding so early in the morning. It's far too dark. The superior turned his office chair to face Alan, and with a matter-of-fact type expression exclaimed, They'll be fine. Lottery won the Grand National here, so he knows his way around. Besides, both horse and jockey have been dead for well over a hundred years, so there's no threat of them getting injured. This Comments sent Alan on his way, contemplating as to whether his boss was pulling his leg or whether he had in fact seen the phantom of a horse running the course of the Grand National that dark morning. To further back up Alan's story, the Liverpool Echo posted an article back in 2008 that depicts another employee's first-hand experience. Working as a stable manager for over 40 years, Derek knew the ins and outs of the site and even for a period lived in a bedroom that is above one of the stable buildings. On one occasion, he tells of how he was awoken in the early hours to the sound of hooves clipping away on the Victorian cobbles that are laid outside in the courtyard. The noise startled him from his slumber and he dived downstairs believing that one of the horses that were under his care had escaped. Catching a glimpse out of the window on his way down, Derek saw the rear of a light grey horse. This was strange to him as there were no horses of this colour in his yard but it didn't deter him from running down to the stables to check as the dark night sky could have been playing tricks on his eyes. Upon reaching the stables, Derek noticed that the trotting from the alleged escaped horse had ceased. Glancing around, he could see that all of his stables were occupied by expensive racehorses just as he had left them early that evening. Feeling the hairs on the back of his neck and arms raise, Derek knew that what he had just witnessed from the window was not one of his horses but the glimpse of a horse that may once have called the stables home. Oh, I think that's what, I think, like, the first one, Alan, it was Alan the first one, wasn't it? Like, his um, recollection, like, of the horse, like, I thought that was really nice, but didn't he mention it was a brown horse? Yeah. And then that other one said it was a grey horse. Was different, that different, different stories. Thanks for listening. I was listening, but you said to further, you further, like... Yeah, another employee called Derek. Yeah, I know it was two different stories, and I know Derek and Alan were different, but I thought that you were saying it in a way that it, like, backs up the... It was lottery, do you know what I mean? Ah, right, no, it was sort of just another story to say that there is ghostly happenings. Yeah, because I was just going to say, do you reckon it's just because it's like, you know, the way you, go, like you get the grey lady and that, maybe it's a grey, the grey horse. I was just going to suggest that. No, well, how true... Alan's story did have merit in that the horse lottery was a brown horse. Yeah. But 
how easy would that have been to find out if you were to so inclined to make up such a story? Yeah. However, I would imagine that something that like that would stay with you if you were a security guard walking around that huge yeah, place at night in the dark and you hear the sound of a horse and, and see a horse running past you. It's not really something that you just imagine as well. Like, I know, obviously, he's, he's a security guard at the race course, so he does expect horses to be there, but at that time of night, you're not going to expect a horse to be there, so he wouldn't, like, you know, like, picture it just because he's tired or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think that is true, and I think that was quite nice. I think that's lovely that he's still there. Mm. But then also, is it that, like, is that the only good thing that he's got in his life? And that's why he's, still, like, the jockey as well, I mean. And that's why they're still there. Yeah, but at the same time, there is the argument that ghosts and the paranormal are sort of just like they're not there to interact with us. They're there because it's that's something that's happened. So the event is it, like, it, it, an action has taken place in time, and that's just like a glimpse into a different time. Yeah, we have we touched on like certain energies stay in certain parts. Yeah, so things can get attracted to other objects, but perhaps because that action had already happened and that horse had already ran that course, Mm -hmm. that he was witnessing, Alan was witnessing a glimpse of what had happened, Uh, but for some reason there was like a sort of potentially time slip. Maybe that's the best way to explain it. I know what you mean, but I think it's, I like like a ghost animal as well. Like, I think it's nice. Um, not that it obviously it's sad they passed away, but obviously he just died of old age, didn't he? Because he he went to the um, plowing. Yeah, he went on to do plowing. So it's not like he got injured at the Grand National and then died. So I think it's quite nice, and I think it's nice that he obviously was happy there. I, I didn't I didn't get the bit where his, he didn't like his jockey getting on him now. I thought that was going to turn into like a superstition or something. No, well I. I guess you would. It's not like a sort of natural thing, is it? That the horse is not used to having a, a person on its yeah. back. That's not how it was born or anything. But apparently, later on, and it's like the jockey would go and visit the horse from time to time, oh, and the horse would still kick off every time. It's seen <laughs> him. So, some things don't go away. I think he, the horse was obviously a strong horse, though. If he can walk that far and then compete in races as well, and then do plowing work, but. Yeah. It, it died like many miles from Liverpool. It wasn't in like a stable or a farm uh, close to Liverpool when it passed away. Oh, but it comes back though. Apparently, it comes back. Maybe this was the best time it, it had. It must have been. That was nice. You ready for the next story? Yeah. So moving on to another race course, fairly local to Liverpool, we find ourselves at the historic Chester race course. More to the point, it isn't just historic. It is the oldest racecourse in the world that is still in operation to this day. It was established in 1539. Such is the tradition of horse racing at Chester. There have only been three occasions since the first race was run that horse racing had been halted. Those occasions being the English Civil War, World War I and World War II. With history stretching far into the past, it is of no wonder that of all the people that come to visit the 64-acre site, whether for work or pleasure, a few may have stuck around. In the early part of the 1800s, 
The horse racing event taking place in Chester had become so noteworthy and profitable that the owners decided to erect a grandstand. As part of this construction, the grandstand was to include a director's box, which would allow the overseer of the whole operation to oversee from high up in the grandstand and also indulge his inner circle when it came to race day. If the rumours are to be believed, when the hustle and bustle of race day preparations begin, an unaccounted body can be seen to survey the site, providing a warm and gentle smile to those who happen to look his way. Workers have said when passing through the director's box, the figure seems to be that of an old gentleman in very smart but outdated clothing. He resides in a high-backed leather armchair, which is not of the usual decor for the private room. Some who have seen him have took his presence to be a good luck charm, one that signifies that the upcoming race day will be a success. Yet the true identity of this person is not known, but it is fair to say that the speculations of him being a previous director of Chester Racecourse are the most likely explanation that we have. One further not-so-friendly spectre that the track boasts among its repertoire is known as the Nasty Old Man. This spirit is not one that comes out a certain time to lend a watchful eye. He is more of a menace, causing mischief and scaring staff and customers alike. The antics of this spirit are said to namely be the opening and slamming of doors, along with causing those present to jump out of their skin with fright. People have even claimed that the spirit has pinched them when they have been walking among the grounds of the racecourse, alone and with nobody around them. Again, the identity of the ghost is not known, but from time to time, the racecourse plays hosts to reenactments of the British Civil War, which took place in the mid-1600s. During this pretend fighting, the activity of this particular ghost is set to skyrocket, which has led to suspicions that they may be from around that era, and the remembrance of such atrocious violence sparks an anger within the spirit, leading them to vent their frustration on the living. So do you reckon, like, when you were saying about the the reenactment, do you reckon like, they've got like real props from that time and they, they had been attached to that item, maybe? Yeah, potentially, or because it was so long ago in the 1600s, there may be stuff buried in the ground that, yeah, that no one's found because I don't think they're going to start no. conducting archaeologically. Indiana Jones stuff. Archaeological, yeah. Archaeology. Archaeology. They're not going to start <laughs> conducting that on a race course, are they? I like the first story, the, the nice man. Yeah. But I didn't realise that you could have ghosts, like ghost furniture. You know what I mean? Like it says he's sitting on a high back chair. I didn't realise that ghosts could bring a chair. But I'm sure, I'm guessing they could. Well, in... They can make noises and like, like we've heard the piano here. In the Christmas Carol... By Charles Dickens, the um, Marley brings his chains and his boxes. They're attached to him now. He might be attached to that chair. Might have died in it. Oh yeah, actually. I think I think that's nice of a good luck charm as well. If I seen him, I'd probably think it was a nice. If he because ghosts can give off feelings, can't they? So I'm sure, like, if he wasn't a good luck charm, he'd give you like a bad feeling or a yeah, funny feeling. You can feel at ease. Yeah, I feel like the the fella wasn't that bad though. The other one, it's just like misunderstood. He's not causing that much harm. 
misunderstood, but he's doing he's not not terrible things, but like annoying things. Yeah, but if if it's true, like he they are reenacting it, maybe it is annoying to him because people are getting fun out of reenacting. I know a lot of people do do stuff like that, and people people are, are getting fun. People are finding enjoyment. People are finding enjoyment and reenacting something that may be really upsetting to him. And yeah, he got. Sure, it was upsetting for a lot of people, but it's generally not for joy, it's using more for educational purposes. No, but you, find, you do find, like, they have like, certain festivals and that where people dress up and then act out certain things, don't you? I thought that was what it was like. Like a cosplay, kind of. Yeah, but it's not that. Oh. Okay. War reenactments is not cosplay. Yeah, but they, they do do it for, like, entertainment, don't they? Like, you see, like, Viking, like people yeah, have Vikings Yeah, people go and see it, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, that, it would spark, I imagine it sparks quite a lot of things, because it took over a lot of, obviously, Britain. Yeah. Like, being the British Civil War. So I feel like he's, prob- he's probably just released, like, showing his anger and trying to get them to to go away. Or, or maybe he's just bored. Or maybe when it starts, the reenactment starts, he thinks it's happening again. It, yeah, he could actually. And maybe he's not just pinching people. Maybe he's actually like stabbing people with swords. Yeah. But we only feel it as a pinch. A ghost sword. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not as effective as a real, like, physical sword. Oh, maybe he thinks he's doing his bit for his country. Which part of it's a civil war? Well, wouldn't it be in England? None of it's a civil war. I don't, I don't know what a civil war is. Well, you fight among yourselves. Oh. <laughs> In fairness, I don't know too much about the English Civil no, War. No, that's alright. And also, Chester is quite haunted anyway, isn't it? Yeah, because it's one of the oldest cities. Yeah. Especially if that's the oldest racecourse in the world. It's not the oldest racecourse in the world, it's the oldest racecourse in the world still in operation. Oh. oh. So there will have been like, the Roman racetracks with the yeah. racehorses around, but obviously yeah. not still in operation. Yeah, but if it's still going now, there's obviously going to be energy there, isn't there? Yeah, there will be more, I, I'd assume. But this is where my doubts come into it. Mm. Guess what they do? Do they do ghost tours? Yes, they do ghost tours. <laughs> so while the stories may be true, they do, I find, tend to elaborate. In a, that's a kind of way of putting it. They elaborate to emphasise the stories a little bit, just they, to bring the customers in. Yeah, they put like icing on it and nothing. Yeah, a little pretty bow. Yeah. Um, that, but the tours did only seem to be around Halloween is around, time. Is it around the race course though, or just around the whole of Chester? No, that was like race course specific. Ah, uh, right. So, this next story is my final story. Okay. And it's called. Oh. Race with the devil. No, I love it when stuff's got the devil in. You know, I know you. I know you're not meant to love stuff like that, but I love a story with the devil in. I think you've got something to tell me, <laughs> but I don't think I want to hear it at the same time. I'm not allowed to tell you because then you'd have to join. Oh, <laughs> you part of Fight Club? Can't talk about it, tell you. Okay. <laughs> For our final story, we're going to venture a little further away from home but still very much sticking with the horse racing theme. This tale is said to have been set in the late 1700s in Woburn, Massachusetts. Oh, USA! An American one? We start with a gentleman named Sam Hart. That's such an American name. Sorry, I'll let you carry on, but that is such an American name. We start with a gentleman named Sam Hart, which is an American name, by the way. 
Now Sam, for all intents and purposes, was a horse lover. He in particular had this one mare that he often bragged could outrun any opponent, in or out of season. Sam himself was told to be a fearless rider and also somebody who would make outrageous wages on his races. One evening, while taking in the air on his porch, Sam was approached by a plainly dressed yet clearly well-to-do stranger. The outsider had all of the attire of the day and had even some of the pale makeup and white wigs that were often worn by aristocrats. Yet something told Sam that this man was an imposter. It felt like he was trying too hard to fit into the image he was portraying. This agitating feeling was soon heightened when the unfamiliar man raised his head to make his face visible from underneath his hat, revealing two black marble-like eyes that glared at Sam, superficially staring into the mortal man's soul. Despite the dreaded feel of unease around the stranger, Sam heard him out. The black-eyed man had came to offer him a horse race. Hearing of Sam's gloating and self-admiration, the man had come to see if Sam could live up to his word. A stake was given by the stranger. He offered three to one on any money wagered, and if Sam won, he could also have the odd man's black stallion that he would be using in the race. Sam potentially should have been paying attention more carefully, using a level-headed mind to make his decision, but instead he instantly accepted the lucrative offer, thinking of the riches and new horse that he could add to his stable. What Sam failed to grasp in his haste was that the stranger had not said what he wants in return, should Sam lose the race. But without giving this a thought, the race was set for the next morning, and when the hour struck 8am, the whole village emerged from their dwellings to witness the much-anticipated race between Sam Hart and the fabled stranger. To sweeten the deal for Sam, the airy outsider had allowed him a head start of 10 horse lengths, which cemented the win in Sam's mind. Surely he couldn't lose this? Without even looking to check the type of horse that he was up against, the crackle of the whip hitting the floor signalled the start of the race, and Sam shot off on his mare at his usual impressive speed. However, moments after starting the race, it became quickly apparent that Sam's opponent had an ace up of his sleeve. The rival horse had immediately closed a gap that had been so graciously given as a head start. The adversary horse darted into Sam's peripheral vision, startling him and drawing his attention to his right side as the horse galloped alongside him at this point. This horse that he was facing was indeed black as the stranger had described the previous day, but what he had omitted was the fact that his eyes were the same exact black glistening marble as the owner. The breath of the beast was not just miscreated by the heat of the breath hitting the cold air, but it was actual bellows of smoke. Soon the unknown competitor came into view as the black horse came parallel with Sam and his mare. He showed no sign of exertion, no signal that he was working his steed hard. The numerous factors of obscurity began to add up in Sam's mind. Who was this man? That is assuming, of course, that this person is human in the first place. The feeling of unease grabbed Sam's senses and brought his consciousness crashing down to reality. Instead of pointing his trusted mate in the direction of the finishing line, Sam veered to the left and bolted towards the village church. 
Arriving in haste, he dismounted his horse and walked here as close as possible to the church doors in an attempt to secure holy protection for both himself and the animal. He was right to do so. As the stranger rounded the corner to the church door, he grinned, in a sort of acknowledgement that Sam had sussed him out. The unknown opponent then exclaimed to Sam that he was wise to have figured out his true identity. Although the finish line was not reached, he declared Sam the winner of the race, and as promised, paid up the princely sum that was agreed. Further to this, the stranger explained that the black horse would now be Sam's, and that it would become safe to handle once the stranger had returned home. The vagueness of the stranger's riddle-like statements still attempted to disguise his true identity, but when a dark mist rolled into the churchyard that morning, blocking the stranger from view and providing an overpowering smell of sulphur, Sam's suspicions were all but confirmed. He had just been in a horse race with the devil. That, I like that one, but why didn't he ask what he was fighting, like, competing for? Because I think there's a moral to the story in that don't let your own self-belief slash greed overpower everything else in terms of looking at the bigger picture, taking in all things into account. Yeah, at first when you were reading the beginning bit, I know you'd already said that it was like the devil in the title, but I was thinking, oh my god, is he a vampire? <laughs> I was like, mm. oh, it's a vampire. Well, maybe. Maybe he was a vampire. But. What does he want, though? Uh, well, who, who knows? I'd assume a soul. Sam's a dickhead, though. You should have asked what he was getting. What he was doing in return. Yeah, you don't just, you don't just do something for nothing. <laughs> Emma's not big on charity. <laughs> Shut up, I am. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I think that story, the basis of it, I don't know. I think it's more folklore yeah, than it is. Than it is actually like a true paranormal how, experience. How do we know it happened? Because, say, he did take his soul. How do we know it happened? Do you know what I mean? Because like, he, he lived to tell the cautionary tale. True. And also the village was full of people, but surely if he was a devil just being an evil motherfucker, he just took someone else's soul, or just took Sam's soul for the sake of it. He might be bored, it might be boring being the devil. Yeah, so he's making actual wages yeah. and then sticking to them and paying out. Three to one, quite good odds, isn't it? Yeah, not bad. <laughs> it's okay, I guess. I'm mad that the horse had black eyes as well, though. Well, to go by the story, it touched on it a bit at the end then. The horse was apparently obviously puffing out bellows of smoke yeah. and had marble black eyes. And according to the story, it wouldn't be able to be like, ridden or mounted or it wouldn't abide anyone else yeah. until the devil had returned home. By home probably means hell. Uh, yeah. So, apparently when the devil did return home, the horse then became... Like normal? Yeah, like an actual mm-hmm. horse. Just a... A real a life. horse. <laughs> a, a real life version of what it was, so it yeah. breathed actual air. It didn't have <laughs> marble eyes, I guess. So, yeah. I like that story. I didn't. I really didn't ever expect to have horse racing on this podcast. Well, I thought, you know... 
But I think because it's quite fitting because Inchy Racers is this coming week, isn't it? I didn't do it's this. It's like he planned. I guys. didn't do this just for the actual. With this episode being released on Friday, uh, which I believe has been the 14th. That'll be Ladies' Day. Which will be Ladies' Day of the races. The, yeah. the, the festival goes from Thursday to Saturday. And Saturday's the Grand National. So yeah. That's the big one. That's 5.15 p.m. Yeah. Um, we normally go on the Thursday, but we're not actually going this year. No. <laughs> I but, I can take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah, the, the horse racing isn't really... I don't think anyone really goes yeah. to the horse racing. They just go to get pissed. And get dressed up. Mm. And most of them don't even do that. No. Just get pissed. We've got a problem. England has got a problem, no. I don't know, because we've just been to Austria and they drink beer like it's a soft drink. Oh yeah, we've just been to Austria. So, there you go. Skiing's not for me. No, definitely isn't. <laughs> she brought it up, but she doesn't want me to elaborate on it, so you I'm not going to. Fine. So, as a quick side note, and tangent, because we do like a tangent on this podcast. We love a tangent. When we went to Austria, we went to ski. So we went to see um, the Altitude Comedy Festival, which was ran pretty much every evening. So three shows a day, three shows a day, five thirty p.m., eight p.m., and then eleven p.m. Yeah, we stayed up late. Wow! <laughs> and one day it was in the Alps. So one day we went up the mountains and we were going to try and go skiing. So we did. We went up. We hired the skis. Got the lift passes. The whole works. Got, I even got a ski jacket. Even all the clothing to go with it. Got on the skis. Within three seconds, Emma was like, no, get these skis off me. I don't want to do it. I think I should do a lesson if I'm going to do it. So I agreed. She didn't look steady. She should probably get a lesson if she wants to carry on. So she went over. She booked herself an expensive fucking skiing lesson. <laughs> Did about 20 minutes of it. And then shouted me over and went, do you want to take this lesson over from me? Because I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so I got an impromptu skiing lesson last Wednesday. The fellow was all right. Like it wasn't, you could tell he was getting pissed off at me because I just, I was like Bambi. I honestly just wasn't in control of my feet. And I wasn't even bothered about falling because when I fell over, I was fine with it. I just got back up. I had to unclip my ski to get back up though, but... The problem is, when Emma does something, she doesn't give herself any time to adjust to it whatsoever. If she just gets an instant bad reaction to anything, she's like, no, I don't want to ever do this ever again. And that is exactly what happened 2,000 metres up on on an Alp. So I just went and drank a glass of wine while Josh and his friends continued skiing, and I think I had the better time, really. Even though the wine wasn't nice. And she kept telling us... I'm in the bar, the, I can't remember the name of it. I'm in this bar and it's named XYZ, whatever it was. And then we were looking all around for it on the numerous bars that were on this mountaintop. And we, I phoned up, I can't find you, where have you gone? Will you just describe what it is. And there was this particular bar that had a bull on the top of it. It was like a steakhouse style bar. I was like, yeah, yeah I'm on the, it's got a bull on top of it. I was like, what you're saying isn't, <laughs> the fucking name of the bar. It what she was telling us was the fucking German for drinks menu. <laughs> it said it on the menu. Exactly. 
But the drinks menu. I could see you, and I was like, I can see, I can see you. Just look at me, and you looked at me. Yeah, she was sat outside of this bar, along with about two hundred other people. So yet they found me. <laughs> Sadly. And we we were sunburnt. Yeah, it turns out the sun is really hot when you get closer to it. It was really nice though. We didn't see a yeti or anything, which I'm quite sad about. Mm. But there was weird tracks, like footprints. Because deer don't exist on mountains. One of them looked big though. Even even you were like, oh, that looks like a big animal. Might be a big deer. I think it's Bigfoot. <sighs> they weren't that big, like, they were only... It's, it's baby Bigfoot. Bigfoot's children. Yeah, but there was no, there was just like holes, like pinpointed into the ground. They were, there was no like definition to them, like toes or anything. He uses them ski walking things like everyone else does. Yeah, but then there'd be some sort of imprint. He hides them. Oh, every single step. Yeah, because he's a monster. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to go to bed, you've lost it. <laughs> so. so. There was a few stories about horse racing and a little tangent at the end about skiing up a mountain, which I need to fucking edit most of we out were, because we Emma's just fucking rambled on about shit. <laughs> um, never. So, thank you for listening to our entry race course slash Chester race course slash Massachusetts race course stories. Um, we hope you enjoyed them and if you've ever been to entry race course or if you've ever been to a haunted race course or have experience of on a farm or anything with horses and haunted horses please give us a email on across the cemetery at gmail.com or you can find us on twitter at ax the cemetery tiktok ax the cemetery instagram at across the cemetery And also, if you would like to leave the podcast a review, please give us a review on Spotify or Apple Pods, wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out, and we would like to just hear what you think anyway. Unless it's bad. Unless it's bad, then we don't care. Well, we do, but we secretly don't. (laughs) So fuck you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. So being from Liverpool, I'm more specific. Apologies, some cunt setting off fireworks on the 10th of fucking April. Happy Easter Monday. Did you know that the Easter Bunny brings fireworks? Instead of chocolate if you're from Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think the fireworks are done. (laughs) Yep. One evening while taking in the evening air... What, it had the daylight here? <laughs>